0: speed on what God is saying to us today. We're in week number three of this teaching that I've been in for the last couple of weeks. We started the year off with this teaching called The Presence. And we're really going back and recognizing that God has given us a word as a church, Impact Church. God gave us a word that this is a year for us to be in the presence of God with miracles flowing from heaven. Anybody grab hold of those miracles from heaven? God gave us a word that this is a year for the presence of God for us Then our home church, Church of the Highlands, said it's a year of miracles. So we just kind of merge those together, that it's the presence of God for us with miracles that are flowing from heaven. It's a season that I I believe for us to take God seriously, for us to take his desire to be close to us seriously, and for us to take him at his word. You say, why, Pastor? Because I believe that God wants to do something in us and for us that we've not given him space to do before now. God's got a life for you that's different than the one you have now. Thank God for the one you have now. But you may think that, man, I, I'm doing pretty good, but can I, can I tell you, God's got a better life than the one you're living now. Yeah. Or you may say, man, it's been bumpy, man. My, my marriage has been bumpy. My, my career has been bumpy. My finances have been bumpy. Can I tell you, God's got a better life for you than the one you're living right now? Yeah. Why? Because God wants to do something in us and for us that is greater than what he's done up until now because we haven't given him space to do any more than we've done now. In fact, I I like to say it this way. So many times what we want from God is we want Mercedes-Benz results. but We want to give him cash car effort. We want the results to be Mercedes-Benz. Man, people look at our life and they go, wow, look at what God has done. But what we want to give God is just kind of a little cash car effort. Just just enough to, you know, satisfy Him. Check the box and say, I've done something. What God is saying, if you give me more, I can do more. Why does he want to do that? Yeah, because he loves us. But I'm going to give you another reason. He wants to do that for us because time is running out, and God needs to show his goodness in our lives so we can become the bait that brings this lost world home to him. God wants to show all these unsaved people just how well he takes care of his own children so they will recognize if he does it for us, he's willing to do the same thing for them. If I can say it another way, God wants to trophify you. He wants to turn you into a trophy of his goodness so the world can see just how good our God can be. And we've been telling you the last few weeks that in God's presence, things that we can expect, number one, we can expect to be led by his presence. God's presence will tell us when we're going in the right direction, when we're headed in the wrong direction. We told you last week we can expect to be healed in his presence. Today I want to t- teach you on the fact that we can be empowered by his presence. The next week we'll wrap up with talking about being prospered in his presence. I love one of the songs we sang. It kind of reminds me of this quote from Alexander McLaren. It says, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. When there's something about being in God's presence. I don't mean just at church. and I don't mean just a couple times a week. There's something about learning how to dwell our lives surrounded by the presence of God. Where peace doesn't come from the absence of trouble. It comes from being in, living in, dwelling in the presence of God. Now, what does it mean to be empowered by his presence? Well, the word empower, let me give you a definition. It means to give someone the authority... Or the power to do something. So when we get into God's presence. We say he empowers us. It means to give someone the authority or the power to do something. Another definition of empower is to make someone stronger and more confident. Especially when it comes to controlling their life and claiming their rights. To make someone stronger and more confident. Especially when it comes to controlling their life and claiming their rights. When I think of the word empower... I think of movies. You know, I, I'm a big movie buff. I, I love movies. One of my, my favorite pastimes watching movies. And my favorite genre movie is gangster movies. I, I love gangster movies. My dude. Anybody else like gangster movies? Anybody else judging us that like gangster movies? Y'all Pharisees don't think we should like gangster movies? Well, you're on a fast. Pray for us during your fast. See if the Lord tells us to stop liking gangster movies. Because until he says stop liking gangster movies, we love us some gangster movies. I love gangster movies, but I also love western movies. And one of the things I love about western movies is that no matter who the characters are, there's there's typically the same theme that runs in every one of them. You have a town named something, and you have one sheriff over the whole town. He might have a deputy, you know, a, a little sidekick that helps him out. But the, the, the sheriff usually, you know, he, he does something else in the, in, the, in the city for his main job. And then when trouble arises, they go and get him. And, and, and you'll usually have a band of bad guys that come riding into town. It's usually 15 or 20 of them together in their posse. They ride into town. They kick over people's stuff. They go into the saloon, start a fight, start having trouble. And somebody says, go get the sheriff. <laughs> right? They run to get the sheriff. The sheriff shows up. But the sheriff's only one guy. And you got 15 to 25 bad guys just rode into town. So what does he do? He then finds a guy who is a town tailor. He finds a guy who makes horseshoes for the horses. He finds a guy who runs a local saloon. He finds a guy who's a cattle rancher. He brings all of them together. He says, raise your right hand. He swears them in. Watch this. And he deputizes them. Which means before that moment, they were just regular, ordinary tailors and and, and salespersons and cattle ranchers. But the moment that the authority figure, the sheriff, swears them in, he gives them all the rights that they need to represent the law. And what God is saying is when we get over into his presence, he deputizes us. Come on. He empowers us. He takes us and he changes us from being ordinary men, women, and teenagers and children And he empowers us in his presence so we can go forth to represent him for his kingdom. See, there's something about dwelling in God's presence that turns cowards into the courageous, turns the weak into the strong, and makes the doubting stand confidence in their deliverance from our God. And I want you to know that as we encounter what I call the end of days, I don't believe that we're in the last days. I believe we're actually past the last days. I believe we're in what I describe as the end of days, which means for me, I really do believe this. I can't prove it, but I believe that... I believe that time as we know it from heaven's perspective is out. Yeah, we still look at clocks and calendars down here on earth, but I think heaven is done marking time because I believe everything that is necessary for Jesus to come back has happened. And now what God is doing is in these end of days, he's just allowing this final massive harvest to sweep into the kingdom because no matter how thankful we are that we're saved, there's still other people out there who are not saved. And what you're seeing all over the country, all over the world, in fact, is you're seeing massive numbers of people flocking to Jesus Christ. I don't, don't believe what the, I know, I know television tells you that church is declining. Well, churches that are not relevant are declining. Churches that are still actually presenting Jesus Christ, God is still doing great work. Can I, can I, can I just tell you right here, in these first two weeks of the year, last Sunday alone, we had 199 people in church say yes to Jesus Christ. Come on, the week before that, the first Sunday of the new year, we had 254 people in church say yes to Jesus Christ. Come on, that means in the first two weeks of this brand new year. Are you listening to me? We've had 453 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. Sitting in the same seat you're in over in our children's ministry. Now let me tell you what I just I just announced something really great. Let me show you what he did. He said, Oh, praise God. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus. Now, now if, I had, if I had said, we just got a letter in the mail. I don't know why they sent it to us, but it was for you. And it was the IRS. and S. And they said they made a mistake on your taxes for the last 15 years, and they owe you a $2 million check. See, some of you about to fall out your seat just imagining that happening. You, you know what would have happened if I, if I announced that? You would have stood up and towed this place up. Tear the church up. Tear the church up. Do, do, do you'd have told this place security would have had to hold you down Hmm. but i just announced something better than the two million dollars i just announced it in the first two weeks of this year come on man come on 453 people pulled into the parking lot of what used to be a department store got out of their car came in experienced the presence of god And by the time they walked out of here, come on, they were brand new creations in Christ Jesus. Their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You ought to praise God like you're excited for that, man. But see, I believe God is doing something special because we're in the end of days. And I'm a believer. I'm going to teach a message right after Easter called The Finish Line. Because I think we need to be able to look at what's happening around us. Look at what you see on the news, not in the light of what CNN or Fox News has to say. Look at it in the light of where we are in the end of days. And one of the things I think we have to be aware of is that as we encounter everything that the end of days will offer, we need to be people, watch this, who have been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, you've kind of been marked. Others ought to be able to tell we've been with Jesus. Come on, folks on our job should be able to tell you've been with Jesus. People in your neighborhood should be able to just sense that you have been with Jesus. See, when we look at the disciples, we tend to think they were this extra special bunch and maybe almost superhero, Avenger-like. But the reality is the disciples were not an extra special group. They were regular guys, ordinary young men who were chosen by God for a world-changing assignment. When you dig in and look at the 12 that he picked, think about Thomas was always doubting something. No matter what, what Jesus said, I doubt it. I doubt it's going to happen. You look at James and John, the sons of thunder, they had impure motives. They're always trying to work their way to the front of the line, and their mama's trying to find a good seat for them next to Jesus in his kingdom. And They had impure motives. I mean, John, the guy that God allowed to write a book of the Bible that we have in our four Gospels, he, his entire book that he wrote, he's constantly referring to himself as the one that Jesus loves. He's talking about himself, and do you know God left it in there? He could have edited it out. He could have discarded that book and gave somebody else the ability to write one that stayed in the Bible. God allowed it to be in there. I think he allowed it to be in there, so we realized they were used by God, but they're just as regular as we are. I mean, you go, you go and you look at the life of Simon. Simon was what they referred to as a zealot. The zealots were the ones that were like guerrilla warfare people. They, were, they, they believed in armed resistance. They, they were almost the, the, the Black Panthers of that time. They believe in getting rid of the Roman oppression by any means necessary. And Jesus had among his 12 disciples somebody who was naturally bent to be a fighter. Look at the rest of them, man. And these are the disciples. The rest of them were, their lives were so silent that we don't know much else about them other than their name. If I, if I ask you, tell me, tell me what you know about Matthew. Most you can probably tell me that he was a tax collector. His real name was Levi. If I you tell me, what do you know about Bartholomew? You know what you're going to say? His name was Bartholomew. <laughs> While their lives were so silent, the Bible doesn't tell us much more about them yet. Something about them being with Jesus transformed them. When you read in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Why? For they could see that they were just ordinary men. They didn't have any special training in the scriptures, but they also recognized them as men who had said with me, been with Jesus. They were men that have been with Jesus. See, God can do some amazing things through ordinary men, women, or children if we have what I like to call a BWJ degree. Because, you know, while why you're working on your master's and finishing up your doctorate and, and trying to get your bachelor's, make sure that you also get your BWJ degree, your been with Jesus degree. While you're hanging everything else on the wall, make sure it's obvious to those that are around you that you spend enough time with Jesus that you can claim that I have actually been with Jesus. See, that doesn't come from being in church one time a week, listening to a a, a 35, 40-minute message and having 20 minutes of praise and worship. It doesn't come, that BWJ doesn't come from just having a 75-minute experience on a Sunday. Because if we're honest with ourselves, come on, what we get on a Sunday, if that's all I get... That crazy woman at work will have that out of your system by 12 noon tomorrow. And unfortunately, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, so many believers unknowingly suffer from a condition that I like to call P.O.G.D. That's a presence of God deficiency. A lot of believers are walking around. Don't even know you you got P.O.G.D. You can look at people and tell when they got, oh, yes, it's definitely on you. How do you know when somebody's suffering from POGD? Here, let me read the symptoms. Irritability. Don't you look left at the person next to you? Don't you do it? Don't you do it. How do you know when they got POGD? Moody? Today they're ready to tackle the world. Tomorrow, get away from me. I'm tired of y'all. How do you know when they're suffering from a presence of God deficiency? They're pessimistic. Got that doubting Thomas spirit. I don't know if that's gonna work pray for all them people last week. I don't know who, got. I bet you nobody got healed. <laughs> How do you know when they're suffering from a presence of God deficiency, they're fearful? Hmm? Everything that show up on, t- on TV, every commercial, I probably got that. Yeah, I probably got that too.
1: <laughs>
0: How do you know if you got POGD? you always critical. Fault finding, looking for a reason, every, something's wrong with everybody and we hit that singing that song. The little boy jumping all around that stage. You don't take, I don't take all that. To, all them lights in here and you know, all that smoke. We don't need smoke in church. All that, all that haze machine. Turn on the lights. I, I want to be able to see when I'm worshiping God. You, you, just need, some pre, you need some presence of God in your life. <laughs> how, how do you know when you're suffering from a presence of God deficiency, you're, you're always ready to quit? Every other day, the enemy throws something away. Your you You ready to give up? And we can tell. We can tell. You might not know. We can tell when you got a presence of God deficiency. Cause when you get out your car, you think you look good. Let me tell you what you look like. Us. You come in like this.
1: <laughs>
0: Parking lot guys speak to you. Praise the Lord. Have a good day at church. And a little life comes into you. You get into the lobby and the greeters shake your hand and say, God bless, it's going to be an amazing day and a little life comes into you you walk into the auditorium and you can just step in here and you can, you can sense the presence of God life starts to come into you and they, they show you to your seat and you, you sit right down next to Mr. and Mrs. presence of God and they go, glory to God, hallelujah <laughs> and a little more presence of God. Then, then Emmanuel gets up here and he says, it's a great day at Impact Church. Welcome back. And before you know it, some more presence comes into you. Sarah shows up, starts leading us in that good worship. And then Hannah kicks in. And before you know it, you can't get your hands all the way up in there because you still got a deficit. But by the time we get to the end of praise and worship, come on, somebody. Come on. You up here, your hands are like this. Come on, somebody. And then by the time that really cute pastor with them freckles and that brand new beard. That wasn't the funniest thing I said all day. Come on. <laughs> By the time he get done preaching, you walk out of here like this. What a devil. That I wish you would. I wish he would. I said, show your head, devil. Show your head. Why? Because you got all this presence on you. But if all you do is get one church service a week and you don't read your Bible no more and don't lift your hands and worship no more than by Tuesday you here and by Wednesday you're there and by Thursday you're here. And Sunday morning you're right back coming in. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say, Pastor? It takes more than just a church service. We got to dwell over here in His presence. Can I get an amen, somebody? Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. That's, that's why I dare you, I double dog dare you to take what we call the one year impact challenge. We challenge you. We, we, we challenge the folks that come here. Give us one year. Give me one year where you do every single thing we ask you to do here at this church. All the steps we ask you to take. Give me one year where you treat church like it's a meal that your grandmama fixed. You know, when your grandmama fixed a place, she says, she say, sit down and eat this food. She'll let you come in here and pick. See, we want to treat church like a buffet line. We come in, I, yeah, I'll take some. Oh, that's good. Yeah, blessing. Oh, give me some blessing. Can I get double blessings? We want prosperity and healing. Yeah, give me all of that. But the stuff we don't want, fasting and prayer. Oh, no, no. I think, I'm good. <laughs> kind of fool. <full. laughs> hmm? hmm? And what God is saying is, give, give me a year, man, where you go all the way in. Give me a year where you stop being a professional visitor and you actually go ahead and make a commitment watch this and go to the growth track classes actually stop just showing up getting the word and actually go ahead and become a part of a dream team where you now serve and you give something back actually stop being a loner and trying to handle everything by yourself and get plugged into a small group where you got some community Actually, go ahead and, and take some next steps in your journey so that all the things we have in that app, if you download the app, light up all the badges we have up there. Yeah. Give me one year of doing everything we ask you to do, and I promise you, you'll look up a year from now. You will not look, even recognize your life. Come to every single church service. I, I applaud y'all because it was cold out there this morning. I ain't gonna, Don't tell them I said but at 8 o'clock people, they ain't show up at church. Some of y'all are not laughing because y'all are the 8 o'clock people that just came at 12 o'clock. Like, I, I know you. I recognize you. Come on, it was cold this morning. Watch well, I said, but you still got up and made your way to church. You ought to, you ought to applaud yourself for that. What I'm saying is, give me one year where you don't let the little bitty things keep you from church. You go all the way in and see what'll happen a year from now, what God can do in your life. Now, what happens when we're empowered by God's presence? Number one, When we're in his presence and we get empowered, we fulfill our calling. Every one of us has a calling. Hear me out. I know it's obvious that I have a calling as the pastor because I'm on the stage delivering the message. But you don't have to be on a stage delivering a message to people to have a calling. You don't have to be called pastor or bishop something to have a calling. Hear me out. Every one of us in here has a calling from God. And it's not something he's making up. It's something, watch this, that was a part of your spiritual DNA before you were in your mother's womb. That's what he said to Jeremiah. Before I ever formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you ever came out of your mother's womb, I had already sanctified you, set you apart, and I ordained, he said to Jeremiah, you to be a prophet. There's some of you that before you ever came out of your mother's womb, you were called to serve kids in that nursery over there. Some of you were called to work with teenagers. Some of you were called before you ever showed up in that hospital from your mother's womb, you were called to be on the audio team. You were called to go to the prison like our team did yesterday. We have a team that goes to the prison all the time. And yesterday he went to the men's prison and had a church service down there. And they had a bunch of people coming to the church service. I think we had six people get saved yesterday. Watch this. And in the prison yesterday, they allowed us to do a baptism. We had seven people get baptized behind the prison wall. <laughs> and, and they showed me the picture of the guys that went to the prison. Man, they, they were so excited, man. You know why? Because they're walking in there calling. When we get over to God's presence and get empowered, we we fulfill our call. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command. Everybody say command. I didn't hear everybody say command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've been hearing me speak about. He said, because John, he baptized you with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with, another way of saying that, you're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 8, when this happens, you will receive power. Everybody say power. Power. The word power comes from a Greek word dunanimous or dunamis. It literally means miraculous ability. So he said, I command you. I'm not suggesting, I'm not asking would you be willing to. He said, I command you, do not leave Jerusalem until this power comes upon you, until you're empowered from heaven. He said, when it happens, you're going to receive power, dunamis, miraculous ability, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying to Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Thomas and even to his own mother Mary, go and sit down in Jerusalem and just wait there until the power of God comes upon you. Well, now, if you read Acts chapter 2, you'll find that that happened. The Bible said they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven that sounded like a rushing mighty wind, like a tornado. Whoosh. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Or they opened up their mouths, but it wasn't necessarily their own thoughts. They weren't like, let me, let me say yes and no. They weren't speaking in the language they knew. The Holy Spirit gave them the sounds, the utterances to come out. And they just had to yield to this urgency that was coming out of them. And Holy Spirit filled their mouth. So when they received the power that Jesus said, the evidence that we knew they received it, the Bible says they began speaking in tongues. I really hate that church has made speaking in tongues so weird and so spooky over the years. Because what has happened is you got a lot of believers that are missing out on this amazing gift that Jesus said we ought to have. Think about it. It's a gift that Jesus commanded people who walked with him physically. The mother who gave birth to him, he commanded her, do not leave Jerusalem until you get this. In other words, I know y'all want to go out and tell everybody I'm alive. Go out and start preaching. He said, do not do any of that until you receive this gift from on high. They received it, and so many believers today miss out on this gift because church has made it so spooky and so weird, and we haven't done a good job of teaching. want people to just be moved by emotion and and we kind of lumped everything that happens in the church that's the move of the Holy Spirit sometimes that's not the move of the Holy Spirit sometimes it's pure emotion sometimes it's agendas and other stuff and what we have to get better at is teaching people how to discern when God is moving or not moving so we don't end up saying no to something that Jesus said we need and we ought to have See, I thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the ability to pray in other tongues. Because what happens when I'm praying in tongues, when I'm worshiping in tongues, is that there's some times, I don't know if you've ever had this, there's some times in my life where I'm trying to thank God for how good he's been. I don't know your story, but if, if I go back and tell you my story, man, I, I'm not supposed to be on somebody's stage, man, preaching the gospel to people. When I go back and look at how far God has brought me, how he picked me up for, as a kid from the east side of Detroit, that was an angry teenager. My mother was talking to me yesterday. She was ready to fight all the time. And I look at today that I'm on a stage and I'm ministering to people. I, I go back and realize that I was a kid born to a 15-year-old mother who in many respects could have been aborted aborted in other circumstances. But God spared my life, had a call on my life. There are some days I'm trying to say thank you to God, and I can't come up with a word that is really good enough. To, to, to encapsulate how grateful I am that he has kept me alive, that all the times I tried to mess my own life up, he kept me and put somebody in the right place to steer me in the right direction. I'm trying to say thank you, and I can't find a word in the English language, so I have to go spirit straight to spirit and tell him in an unknown language how much I appreciate him. What I'm trying to say is that when we get over into God's presence, we're empowered And we find ourselves in this place where God is able to do something miraculous through us. God fulfilled his promise in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled. The result of them being filled is that the same disciples that took off and deserted Jesus while he was alive. Watch this. Those same guys are now suddenly willing to risk their lives for him publicly after he's dead. Can can I tell you, that that proves right there the the resurrection of Jesus. One of the greatest proofs of his resurrection... (laughs) Is the same guys that were with him when he was alive, they were afraid to back him up in the garden. Took off and ran. But now after he's dead, they're willing to stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, yeah, we said it. They said, these men are drunk. Peter said, no, we're not drunk. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the same guys preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. What am I saying? Their biggest failure actually turned out to be the biggest proof of Jesus' resurrection can I also tell you this based on that don't you dare run from your past failures either don't run from your past see because when people see how God has changed your life when they see how God has empowered you and they see a brand new you it becomes evidence that there's got to be a God somewhere some of you know you got relatives right now saying James where he at church girl James ain't in nobody's church girl stop playing that boy ain't in nobody's church then they take a picture like oh there's a God there's definitely a God some of you right now, your past and how God has changed you is proof positive. Come on, there's a God somewhere. <laughs> now here it is: if Jesus commanded Peter and He commanded James and John and His own mother to wait for this gift, then you better believe if they needed it, if we needed even more so. Second thing that happens when we're empowered by God's presence is we reclaim our true identity. We reclaim our true identity. 2 Corinthians 3 says whenever though they turn to face God like Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of that, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter, our lives gradually becoming more beautiful as God enters into our lives. Watch this last part. Read it with me. And we become. Come on, I didn't hear you. And what? And we. Come on, one more time. And what? And we The more we get into God's presence, the Bible says we're transfigured. We end up seeing him face to face. It's like a mirror. We realize, whoa, 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 that's, that, that's what I'm supposed to look like. We see him face to face, and being in his presence, it transfigures us. And the more we're with him, the Bible says our lives, watch well, Says it doesn't happen immediately. See, when you get saved, that's, this is the confusion. When you get saved, your spirit is saved. You got the same mind you used to have, you have the same appetites, urges that you used to have. But the real you get saved, your spirit becomes brand new. Your spirit becomes new, and then God takes you through a process. He puts you in a church where they're going to teach you the Bible. He puts you with with people that you can serve with so you can have some other examples of what it means to live this life and not be boring. He allows you to get into a group, a community, a small group, so you have some people to be accountable to. And then what happens is what the Bible says here. Our lives gradually become brighter. Our lives gradually become more beautiful. As God enters deeper into our lives, and here's the kicker, we end up becoming more like him. There's a word in Latin that's called the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, and it means the image of God. Every one of us, our spirit has been imprinted with the Imago Dei, the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God was creating man, he created mankind, male and female. Male Adam initially was the female Adam. They were one. She wasn't called Eve until after they sinned. They need to now distinguish. It was male Adam, female Adam. They were one together. And he imprinted upon them, the Bible says he made them in the image and the likeness of God. Now, watch this. When we talk about the image and likeness of God, we're not talking about black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Indian or anything else. The image of God is the spirit being of who you really are. See, God is a spirit. So if we're made in his image and likeness, if God is a spirit, then we're spirit beings too. That's why we don't get all caught up on the outside color of this house we live in. Come on, talk to me, somebody. It'd be crazy to drive through the neighborhood and say, I'm not going to be friends with anybody living in a blue house. This this body we live in is just a house that allows us to walk around down here on the earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen to this. The essence of who we are as human beings comes from God. The essence, the, 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 the real imago Dei. The image of who we are for real as human beings comes from God. It doesn't come from the world around us, which means the world around us is not supposed to define who we are. It doesn't come from our own feelings, which means no matter how I feel on any given day, my feelings are not supposed to determine who I really am. I'm going to blow your mind with this one. The image of who we really are, the essence of who we are as human beings doesn't even come from our parents. Our DNA comes from our parents. But the essence of who we are as human beings comes from God because his image, his his imago Dei is stamped, imprinted on us before we ever come out of our mother's womb. Now, here's the problem. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world. Sin created this counterfeit image to where now, if we don't watch it, the world will start trying to tell us who we really are, which is why you got guys walking around. Man, I can identify. I I was that guy. They walk around and we act like we got to be thugs. Somebody front us off, say something. We got to fight. We got to pull a gun. Why? Because we, we, we're not going to let anybody say that kind of thing. Well, where would that come from? That's an image that God didn't put in us. The world put that there. The world put that there to where now a, a, a husband can't treat his wife like the most delicate being on planet Earth. To where a dad has got to be tough and mean and rough with his kids, even though the Bible says fathers bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Which means it's not just supposed to be mothers that nurture the kids. It's supposed to be mom and dad that set boundaries and parameters, but both of them are supposed to nurture the kids. Which means it's okay. Watch this. For dads to hug their sons and daughters. It's okay for dads to kiss their kids. We've allowed the world to tell us what manhood looks like. And the world's got it all wrong. The world has it wrong on either end of the spectrum. The world will tell us that manhood is where you got to be super duper tough and thuggish and you can never have an emotion or you're not a real man. And the other end of the spectrum today, man, we're struggling to understand it's okay to have biblical manhood. And it's an honor to look like a man, walk like a man, talk like a man. And then on the other side, man, so many ladies have allowed the image of God to just escape you. Where the devil has lied and told you that your greatest asset is your body. He almost treats it like commerce where you think you're supposed to use your body in exchange for gifts and in exchange for favors. And, and the reality is you're so much more than a body. Come on, I'm talking to some daughters in here. You're so much more than a body. Thank God for your body, but your body, watch it, it's the lowest asset you have. You are so amazing with your intellect. Come on, you're so amazing with your ability and compassion to care for people. You're so amazing with the sense of humor God gave you. But the enemy will lie and tell you that the greatest asset you have is your body, so you better work that thing to get what you... That's not what God said. And what happens is when we step over to the redeemed life, see, when Christ redeemed us, he put the imago Dei, the image of God, right back in place so we can now go and reclaim it. And now once we say yes to Christ, he changes us on the inside. And then every day that we spend time with him in his presence, we start looking into the, the mirror of his word. And we start realizing, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've become something he didn't create me to be. I've allowed the world or my feelings or rejection or hurt from the past or what somebody called me, what somebody said about me. I've allowed that to shape my image. When in reality, I'm looking in the wrong mirror. I need to look into the word. Come on, when I, when I look into the Word, let me tell you what I see. I see, man, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God created me with a special purpose. And before you know it, I reclaim God's true identity for my life. You ought to shout amen like you believe that. Third thing that happens when we start to walk empowered is that we showcase God's glory. We showcase his glory. 1 Corinthians 2 says, I claim to know nothing with certainty except the reality that Jesus is the anointed one. He's a liberated king, the one that was crucified on our behalf. Paul said, I was moved to utter despair during my time with you. I would find myself trembling in dread and fear. I love this. Verse 4, he says, the sermons that I preach, they weren't delivered with the kind of persuasive elegance that some have come to expect. He said, but the reason why they were effective, the reason why his sermons were working, the reason why people's lives are being changed, he says, is because I relied on God's spirit. (laughs) To demonstrate God's power, if this were not so, your faith would be based on human wisdom and not on the power of God. You know what Paul said? Paul said when I was putting my sermon together, I didn't go on the Internet and give me, you know, three points in a poem and two jokes. Paul said I didn't try to elegantly and eloquently put my message together so I could prove a point. When I stand here on this stage, you know what's changing lives? It's not me. Thank you for the compliments. Thank you for sharing with me how much the message blessed you. But I'm smart enough to know I'm not smart enough to preach one message that hits thousands of people right in their hearts. That's God that allows me to open up my mouth. I say what he's telling me to say, and guess what? He takes that message, and like a a hand, it goes into every heart, and God's saying something different to every one of us to give you what you need. It's a demonstration of his power. Can I tell you this? God is looking for some people who are willing to trust him with the big problems and their hard cases. See, God wants to de- us to use us to demonstrate to the world that he's not simply the best answer. Watch this, he's the only answer. That's why for me, the time for debate and opinions and philosophies is past. I'm not sitting here arguing with anybody. I'm not, I'm not getting on social media and arguing with you. I'm, I'm off social media right now, but when I get back on, I ain't getting on there arguing with you. You can say the sky is green. I'm gonna say, well, the Lord bless you, son. Enjoy that. <laughs> I ain't gonna argue with you. You know why? Because I'm at a place now where we're not going to debate, Well, we need to figure out which God is going to answer by fire. You say what you want to say, I'll say what I want to say. What what finishes it, which God is going to answer by fire? Which God can show with miracle signs and wonders? And what God is saying to us is that God is calling us into his presence so we can pray some bold prayers that enable him to do some miraculous signs. God wants to show the world some miracles, and he needs us to be his ambassadors to do it. And then the last thing I want to give you right here, don't unplug because I'm not finished this yet, but this is the last point I want to give you, is when we're empowered by His presence, we end up witnessing with our whole life. Our whole life becomes a witness for God. See, in God's presence, I told you, we become like Him. It's not just empowered that we pray for people and we expect God to move in their lives. We become like Him in character. That means we learn, come on, the more we get into God's presence, come on, help me out, somebody. We start loving like He loves we start looking at people the way he looks at them. We start having eyes that actually care about people beyond what they can do for us. We start treating people the way he would have us to treat them. We walk into the, into the, into the office and we don't just say hi to the CEO and the top managers. We say hello. We treat everybody like somebody that's got the image of God stamped on them. <laughs> what ends up happening is we end up being able to love the one that other people said were We're unlovable. For some people, watch this. We will be the only, we, 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 listen, for some people, listen, we will be the only Bible they will ever read. For some people, we will be the only example of what a Christian looks like to them. There's some neighbors in your neighborhood. They're not going to ever come to your church. They're not going to ever pick up a Bible. The only Bible they're going to read is how they see you live. Here's the question what are we showing them? I'm not saying we've got to show them perfection. Because one of the things I so dislike about the church as a whole is that for years we've kind of left people thinking we have to act like we got it together all the time. That's why one of our favorite sayings around here is, "It's okay to, to not be okay." <laughs> you don't have to have it together and you still fit in around here. And I'm just talking about because you're brand new. I, I'm the pastor of the church and I promise you, I don't have it together all the time. I wish I did. I wish I could. I mean, I wish I could tell you, I get up in the morning, man, and before I get out of bed, I say Jesus and I just float. I say, Jesus, get my pants, just come on. <laughs> I don't, bro. I don't. I-, I tell people all the time I'm anointed to teach this, but I gotta live it like everybody else does. Oh I'm just being honest. That means a lot of times I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. What I'm saying is, what we show the world is even when you're down, depressed, when things haven't worked out, I'm still gonna glorify God. Even when I miss the mark, I'm gonna recognize, ah. Oh, let me get back up and try it again and praise him again. I love this. Genesis chapter 21, verse 22. It says, at that time, Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was a heathen king. Didn't love God. Didn't have any relationship with God. At that time, Abimelech and Fekal, the commander of his armies, said to Abraham. Look, listen to what they said. They said, God is with you in everything you do. <laughs> See, when our lives are anchored in God's presence, even the heathen will recognize that God is with us we're living in a time that's the fullness of this phrase right here that God is preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies not so we can brag about what God has done for us but so our enemies can see that he'll do the same thing for them if they surrender their lives to him there's a phrase that is a lot of times attributed to a guy by the name of Saint Francis of Assisi I don't know if he actually said it or not but whoever said it's a beautiful phrase listen to it he says preach the gospel at all times and if necessary Use words. Let that sink in. Preach the gospel at all times. Everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words to do it. In other words, what he's saying is, don't just be about the mouth. Let your life preach the gospel. Let the way you love people preach the gospel. Let your commitment to God, let that be the preaching of the gospel. And every now and then, if you have to, throw some words in there. But it's better to let your whole life be a testimony to the fact that God has really been good to me. Give me about six minutes. I'm done with the the, the message, but I'm not done teaching you. So I want you to lift up your hands. Come on, everybody. Please don't leave out just yet. What I'm getting ready to have you experience is not something that you can only experience at church. God's presence will go with you everywhere you go. In fact, he wants to dwell with you at all times. Lift up your hands. Father, we bless you. Come on, we bless you. With everything in us, Father, we bless you.
1: You are Alpha.
0: just lift up your hands just lift them up all over the building online as well if you can safely just lift your hands close your eyes if you don't mind Just draw a circle around it's just you and God at the moment it's your own little presence box it's you and God forget about everybody else for a moment Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just stand in awe. Just just stand there for a moment. Resist the urge. Resist the urge to say something. Resist the urge to do something. Just be still and know. He is God. Just 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 stand there, just stand in his presence.
1: Everybody loves your voice We
0: Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I want to respect this moment right here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you up here to the front of the church. You can tell by now God is right there with you at your seat. He's right there with you online. Wherever you are, he's there with you. And He's not there to judge you or to criticize you or to point the finger at you. He's there to pick you up from where you are, change you on the inside, make you brand new take you by the hand and help walk you into the imago day the image of God so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior can I pray for you today I'm not going to embarrass you but I need you to give me permission I'm going to count to three in just a moment when I get to three if you say yes pastor include me in this prayer when I get to three I want to ask you to just be bold and shoot your hand up as high as you can when I get to three I'm going to ask you don't look around and see who else may be raising their hand because the devil will try everything to talk you out of it when I get to three, if you're ready to surrender your life to him, then just raise your hand. God's not asking you to tell him all the things you promised to not do again. He's willing to take you right where you are, just like you are. But it's like a game of checkers. God makes his move. You gotta make yours now. He's saying, I'm offering salvation to you. But now you gotta open up your heart to receive it. So I'm gonna count to three. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift up your hand if that's you. All over the room. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. See that hand there, another hand there. Thank you, another hand there, another hand there. Thank you, another hand there. Thank you. See that hand. Thank you, ma'am, another hand there. Thank you, sir, another hand there. Beautiful. Another hand there, all over the room, hands up, hands up, hands up, all over the room. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a beautiful sight. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Beautiful. If you're online, go ahead and raise your hand. Right there at home by yourself, just raise your hand. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, forget about everybody else in the room, I want you to whisper this prayer It's between you and God right here. Say this out loud. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead. I know he's alive right now. Jesus, take me as I am. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. So Save me. Change me from the inside out give you my whole life and according to the bible i am right now born again amen come on impact church put your hands together